Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Kaya FM 95.9. Home of the Afropolitan. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell. Kaya FM 95.9. A very good evening and welcome to The Law Report. What are we talking about this evening? We're talking about the road accident fund. Do you have any claim? Uh, were you in an accident? Are you still waiting for your claim to be paid out? This is a show to call. I'll be joined by two expert lawyers. That is, that's going to be taking us through some of the processes helping me answer some of your questions. As always, number to dial 86 Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Good evening. This is The Law Report. We do this every single Wednesday where we talk about different issues of law and, of course, issues that are relevant to you. And uh, as always, um, we want to engage with you. We want to make the show about you. We want to deal with your problems and your concerns. So if you have any questions um, where you have had an encounter um, on the road um, uh, and you've had an accident and you want to know how you can go about getting help uh, or you have somebody that you know that has tried this and that method and is still having been helped some years later, do you give us a call. Um, number to dial 086 You can also uh, send me any of your questions by using my Twitter handle. It's uh, MatoningBill, at MatoningBill. That's my Twitter handle. And I look forward to engaging with you and dealing with uh, with your questions because I can very well understand if you have a situation where you've been in an accident, you know, um, the laws around this have changed over the recent years. Um, what can you actually claim for? What What is claim worthy, right? And and when you do claim, you know, what, 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 what sort of, um, what can you expect in terms of compensation? I mean, we, we watch TV um, uh, episode or, or programs like I Blew It and somebody gets two million. And yet you might know somebody that got much less than that. How do you work out how much one gets in what circumstance or what scenario? So that's what we're doing tonight. And uh, I did say, do call. I want to welcome my guests, um, joined by two uh, lawyers. Uh, the first lawyer is uh, Lerato Tobakhali uh, from Mabunda Incorporated. Um, um, uh, Lerato, good evening and thank you so much for joining me. Good evening, Michael, and thank you for having me tonight. And also, I'm joined by Kirsty Haslam, a partner at DSC Attorneys. Uh, Kirsty, good evening, and thank you for joining me. Hello, hello, Kirsty. Hi, I'm here. Good. Are you well? Yeah, well, and yourself? Very good, thanks. I mean, let's. Often, when we talk about you know RAF, we 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 it's it's often you know taken for granted that people know when and how one gets paid and 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 sadly you know i'll be sitting in in you know with with family or friends and 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 an old man will come and tell me how how they got an accident some years ago and and you ask them did you claim and they sort of tell you that they didn't know that they could claim so one does take for granted the fact that not everybody knows how this works and one does take for granted that you know when even if you know even if you think you know how it works there are intricacies there are processes that are underway you you know there's also sort of it's never straightforward for many reasons including you know um opportunism that also manifests itself in in this process of claiming from the RAF maybe let's just talk if I may start with you Lerato um around what it is you know in what's one how does raf work when can i claim and when can i not claim 
Okay, so I, I think the most important thing to note um, is that anybody that has been involved in an accident can claim. Mm. But it is restricted by people, for instance, if you were not, you cannot claim from the RAF if you did not sustain any injuries. Right. You cannot claim if you were the sole cause. So if you were the person that caused the accident, you were driving. Either you were driving and you were the sole cause of the accident, there is no other motor vehicle that is involved, or maybe you're a pedestrian or a cyclist, but negligence solely lies on you. So the accident happened because of you. Mm. So if you you are the cause of the accident in a nutshell, so mm. if you caused the accident, then you cannot claim compensation from the road accident fund. So, but if you were injured on any part of the South African road, um, in an accident, then you may claim, you may institute a claim. And and, and, I, and I want to remember to talk about this because often lawyers that work with RAF would also work with other types of of. Um, intellectual claims I suppose like train yeah. accidents etc so when we talk yeah. about accidents in the context of this show tonight what kind of accidents are we talking about which ones are included and which ones are excluded because there's sort of various groups of, of accidents and, and the example that I provided is one for trains where okay, it has where, to be a, mm-hmm. it has to be a motor vehicle accident so mm-hmm. it has to be um, a vehicle or it could a vehicle would mean your cyclists and it would mean your motorcyclists as well. So it has to be a motor vehicle must be involved on a South African road. Mm. So it cannot be any other thing. So as long as I think it has four wheels to simplify it, as yeah. long as it has four wheels and it's operating on a South African road. Or, or if it's, it's a motorcycle as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it <can have> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Kirsty. Um, you, you know, it's it, it sounds it's it sounds all good and well. Where the proposition is, um, well, if it's your fault, you can't claim. But I can imagine a scenario where you know Michael is a breadwinner, and and my children, if I die, may not want to know whether it was my fault or somebody else's fault or whether it was I was the sole cause of it or whether I was alone. The fact of the matter is they they would be left without any financial support and uh and future financial support assuming i have young kids um who still have some 18 years for example of 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 maintenance requirements uh, that that it sounds it sounds a little bit arbitrary to me um in 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 a way that because i was alone I don't get paid, but if, if there was somebody else, I don't know. Take take me through th- that process because, I mean, I can understand if I'm claiming for myself as Michael and I'm there to answer whether it was my fault or not. But but my children, on the other hand, may not be able to, to maybe unduly prejudiced, I, I suppose. Your thoughts? But that's an important example that you mentioned, Michael, because in lots of support claims, which is what you are referencing there, mm. um, if there are two vehicles involved, mm. then the dependent. Listen, Kirsty, I want I want you to answer that. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna park you for two seconds, and then we're gonna try to get you on a better line because uh, what you have to say is very important, and we don't wanna we don't wanna uh, compromise the uh, quality of our conversation 
owing to a, a, a weak connection. So we're going to try again. If you've just joined us, I'm talking about um, road accident and the road accident fund and your right to claim. In what circumstances can you claim? When can you not claim? You know, and we're also going to be talking about a number of things, but I don't want this to be about me and what I have to ask. I want it to be about you. So you got to call in and you got to do so by using the number 86 959 where you ask your questions. Kirsty, let's give that another shot. I'm sorry about that, but going back to what you were saying, so where is the loss of support claim that you were uh, talking about? If there were two vehicles involved, yeah. the dependents only have to prove a nominal 1% negligence on the part of the other um, participant in, in that collision. Right. So, because there, no fault can be attributed to the dependents of you. And there's very few accidents that happen between two vehicles where there isn't contributory fault on both parts. But, but I mean, I was going to I was going to even put this proposition there, I, there. There's hardly an accident. I mean, I want you to finish that trail of thought. But my other concern is I just just to jump in, if you will allow me. My other concern is that there isn't an accident where there isn't where somebody isn't at fault. And it seems, therefore, that if we see an entire accident, it almost means that only half of the people in that accident are going to be paid. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Look, if, <laughs> if you are, are the wrongdoer and there's a joint wrongdoer yeah. who is the driver, then you will be compensated proportionate to your relative degrees of negligence. And isn't that fair? You know, if, if you're both equally at fault, then you're both equally compensated to that degree of fault. Mm. But where, where it comes to dependent claims, which is what you were talking about earlier, Obviously, the dependents weren't at fault for what happened. So there is notional. I'm sorry, Kirsty. The line is the line. The line is bad. Maybe, maybe we're going to hang up, and maybe as we do, maybe try to to move around, or, or you know, um, yeah. But let's let's just try to get you on a better on a better quality phone. Uh, Lerato, you, you you got the question that I'd put to Kirsty. Perhaps perhaps you can um, uh, sort of help us deal with 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 this issue. And 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 I think we was talking about the issue of loss of support that might be mm-hmm. brought by dependents? Mm. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, you mm. know, um, as much as we, we, can, we can put on the table that the dependents are not at fault or it is not their fault mm. that the breadwinner of, of the family has passed on, we, we look at the element of negligence will solely lie with the person that has died. So it's it's under very rare circumstances. Like like Christy said, you know, you have to prove one percent. You know, some people may say that there, there was a disruption on the road, this person may have been swerving um to avoid a porthole or this person may have been blinded by an oncoming car and maybe there's a there's a statement attesting to that. Mm. But where you find that there is nothing that would prove that there was a cause for that person to be involved in an accident, even though there was no other vehicle contact, then unfortunately we we are not, well, the law yeah. looks at it as, a, as the wrongdoer cannot be compensated. Okay. Now, now let, let's talk about, you know, we, we talked about loss of support almost as if, Everybody should understand what that means. Let, maybe unpack mm-hmm. for us what kind of 
claims or what kind of damages one can claim um, um, if from the RAF? I mean, you know, who the, the different groups, and if we're talking about loss of support, who can claim it? What what sort of are the prerequisites for 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 launching such a claim? Okay, for you can you can claim for loss of support where you have a breadwinner that has died and you are a dependent. Mm. Now, dependent has to we have to establish whether there was an actual duty to support. So I cannot deem, for instance, let's say a brother of mine dies mm. and I'm living in that house with that brother of mine. You know, it becomes very difficult to prove. Uh, loss of support if you are not a dependent of the deceased. Mm. So it has to be either the children of the deceased or the wife of the deceased. Mm. You know, um, but the law has evolved over the years. You know, you could be living with somebody for for ten years, mm. and that person becomes your life partner. So um, the definition of a dependent has expanded but we have seen with um, instances like parents your aunts your uncles so your extended family Mm. is normally excluded from the definition of a dependent so any person that that has suffered a loss that is a direct dependent of a deceased Mm. can claim for loss of support but um, you know as much as we love to support our family, our extended families, when it comes to issues of loss of support, it is very rare that the law, again, there will always be exceptions when we take the matter to the courts and a full trial is run, but it is very rare on the face of it. We have not complied, basically, if you are not a direct dependent of the deceased. So, so Kirsty. I'd put the question, so we know that you can claim for loss of support, and, and I think Larato uh, Tabakhali has, has explained very nicely who can claim a loss of support, but what are the species of claims that one can bring other than loss of support? Well, if you have been injured yourself, so um, absent the loss of support claim, mm. so this is you claiming in your personal capacity. First of all, you can claim for your medical hospital expenses to get better, both in the past as well as those which might follow. Mm. So prospective losses, losses in the future. You might need a knee replacement in 20 years, for example. That can be claimed. If you've lost income, both in the past as well as in the future, you might now face the prospect of early retirement or reduced um, earnings in, in the sense of you can't work a full day anymore and so forth. And, and then finally, there's general damages, which is uh, compensation for pain and suffering and loss of amenities of life. So that's a compensation for the trauma, um, inconvenience and all of those kind of factors that, that you have experienced as a result of being involved in that accident. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking to Kirsty uh, Haslam, a partner at uh, DSC Attorneys, as well as uh, Lerato uh, Tabakhale uh, from Mabunda Incorporated. And we're talking about RAF. How can you claim? Uh, what is the process? How long does it take? Any question that you might have, give us a call. 86 959 So the, the, the complaint that one often hears is, is you know, how, how to go about claiming. And I know that there's been some movements where the RAF is trying to um, discourage, and I could be misrepresenting the RAF, but discourage the use of, of lawyers um, where, you know, claimants or prospective claimants are, are, are encouraged to apply for the RAF 
directly themselves. Let's just talk about maybe the process and maybe take into account, you know, the the current way or the traditional way or or the competing way of using lawyers and the other one of claiming directly. And what are some of the um, things to consider when one is bringing a claim? I'm, I'm, any one of you ladies can just take take that. Whoever jumps in first. Okay. Well, if, if I, I, <laughs> I, I'll let Okay, I think what is important for, for, for people to understand is that um, the avenue of lawyers, you know, we, we, we are normally named, um, the, the road accident fund discourages the use of lawyers because of the cost issue, obviously. Mm. Um, we are trying to curb the, the, the amount of money that is paid out and, and also, you know, the, the curbing of fraudulent claims and, and so forth. But what people need to understand is that the use of the lawyer, well, not to, to be uh, subjective in this instance because it's my job, but um, you need to understand that our job is to make sure that a person is adequately compensated for the injuries that they suffered and what may come after that. So um, when you come and you approach me and you tell me that you want to institute a claim against the road accident fund, the first thing that you need to understand that it's not going to be an overnight process. Yeah. You know, it's it's not going to just be submitting papers. Yes, there's the process of lodgement, which is me now submitting. This, this is me making the RAF aware that there is a person that intends or that is seeking compensation for injury. Mm. Now, the law allows us um, to submit such documents and allow the, the, the RAF 120 days for them to investigate the claim, for them to satisfy themselves that there is an actual claim, there is no element of fraud and so forth. And that's when the litigation process starts. So should we not receive an offer on behalf of the client or should we not receive any form of communication from the road accident fund, then we go on to the summons stage. So that is when litigation begins. And, you know, um, unfortunately, there's always a back and forth of an, uh, of an exchange of legal papers, which most of the time we, we, we explain to clients to try and break it down. But the most important thing is that using an attorney allows you to also get your injuries assessed. So you get taken to your different experts that are going to determine for us, if there is a legitimate claim in terms of your injuries, whether your injuries are serious or are they not, and the consequences of those injuries. So how does it impact you going forth on your life, on your employment, and and up until a stage where we call it retirement. So Christy, I think, touched on it. It would be your general damages, um, which speaks to your injuries and the trauma that you you you. you, you suffered mm-hmm. and then it would be your past and your future loss of earnings which is the injury how has it impacted you you know some people it's a direct loss of earnings and some people it's a loss of capacity you know that person would not advance as they would had they not been injured and people need to be aware that that is something else that they can claim you know if 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 you cannot work as you did before we cannot overlook that so that those are the I, I think the technicalities that a lay person wouldn't know, they can claim from the road accident fund. Mm. So it, it, I, I would think that is the advantage of of using attorneys. 
I'm taking your calls 86 959 I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking some more about road accidents and the road accident fund, how you can claim, how much you can get, etc., etc. We're back after this. Bringing you a diversity of views and African stories. This is Kai FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Welcome back. We're talking RAF. We're talking about what happens when you are in a road accident. Can you claim? How can you claim? What's the process? Um, what are the pros and cons of, you know, using a lawyer versus not using a lawyer? And I think that question has been answered. If you've just tuned in, do give us a call. This is a show for you. I want to deal with your questions like Gatleho. You can call me on 86 at 00959. Gatleho, good evening. Hi, how are you? I'm well in yourself. I'm good, thank you. Mm-hmm. I just have a question for Lerato. Is it Lerato? Sure, shoot. Sure. So, Lerato, I heard you mention that if a deceased has dependents, the dependents can claim for RAF. So, I'm, well, I have a scenario, not a scenario, but a um, my a parent situation. passed away in an ex- a situation. <laughs> my parent passed away in an accident and I am for a biological child. So I'm 28 years old. Can I claim for RAF? Because I've heard stories that if you're over the age of 18, you cannot claim. So I want to know if there is an age criteria or how does it work? Very good question, uh, Gatlejo. I anticipate that Lerato may have some questions for you, so stay on the line. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, okay. Um, the first thing that we need to find out is, yes, it's true. Uh, the criteria for, for loss of support, you cannot claim loss of support if your parents died when you were over the age of 18. So that, that is the age where we say you are dependent mm-hmm. on your parents according to the law. And also, um, for instance, let's say she was under 18, we also need to look at the issue of prescription. So we need to look at whether the claim is still valid. I think that's another issue that um, uh, people need to be aware of is that there is what we call prescription. It's sort of like an expiry of, of, of a claim. Yeah. So where you have um, identified drivers, where you know who the driver was, that you were involved in an accident with, um, or you know a registration, or you know an owner, where we can basically establish who the person that was driving at the moment, at, at that moment of the accident. You have three years in which to lodge a claim with the road accident fund. But where a driver is unknown, or whether you have a hit and run, um, you have two years from the date of accident in which to claim for any form of compensation. So um, that is the one leg. So you need to look at prescription in this instance, and then you also need to look at the age of the dependent. So if the dependent is over 18, indeed, you cannot um, approach the road accident fund for a claim. An interesting one from me, and just piggybagging off Gatleo's question, because I know in the law of maintenance now I'm just a little bit outside you know RAF mm-hmm. and, and its rules the, the the criteria is not only limited to age it's, it's also a need of support so if I have a child who's 30 um, that I support and maybe I support because either they're still in school 
um, or they have a disability or something like that. But factually, they need my support as as in maintenance law, as in main, in family law. They have they can successfully bring a claim, and and I think the easiest one for a twenty eight year old is is perhaps some physical condition that renders them unable to earn their own income and therefore rely on on the parent um, for for support. Would would age in any way be a factor then in 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 those circumstances? And maybe another example. I mean, eighteen is just. I know when I finished matric, I wasn't mm. eighteen. I was mm. nineteen, and and. Mm. Even then, I, I still needed to go to university, which took me longer than most kids. <laughs> Sorry, self-indulgence there. I apologize. So, but the point of the matter is I needed maintenance up to age 25, 26. Yeah. So if I'm just, I can jump yeah. in there, Michael. Yes, please, yes, please. Mm. Because I think Lerato has summed it up all perfectly accurately. But I've, I've personally, in practice, um, succeeded in establishing um, support claims to the age of 21 or even 23 mm. um, because it depends on, as you correctly say, your particular circumstances. Mm. So yes, 18 is the general benchmark but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to claim beyond that because um, you might be in tertiary studies. Mm. You might be in adject poverty. You might be in a circumstance where you remain reliant on your parents to support you. And, you know, in law, your duties, your parents have a duty to support you until you are reasonably supposed to be self-sufficient. So there's definitely uh, the prospect of proving a loss of support claim beyond the age of 18. Right, so it's not it's so 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 so. In answer to Gatlo's question, I guess it, it would be w- whether there are I- any special circumstances in her situation that would warrant her getting, not getting, because it's one thing to get, but being uh, entitled to maintenance from her parents. Even it, it's not because I'm not getting a job and therefore I need maintenance, but it's there has to be something like for this reason I can't do it myself. It, that, is that sort of more or less the answer. Yes, it very much depends on the facts of the circumstance. And as you point out, there could be a disabled child, for example, um, that would be dependent for a longer time. So, um, you know, it's a good benchmark, the 18 years, but um, there there is capacity to look beyond that. Interesting. Now, you you touched on this a little bit, Lerato, where you're talking about life partners. Um, And that's obviously <laughs> it's obviously a very difficult one because um, for for the RAF um, it, it then becomes I mean if somebody's married they just pop up a, a marriage certificate and but even then um, there, you know it, 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 there's other hurdles where you actually have to prove that the person because we could be married but it doesn't flow or follow that you're entitled to maintenance by virtue of marriage. Um, uh, uh, now, I'm just trying to think about how the courts deal with this thing where people are living with one another, are, 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 you know, and somebody then says, but this person used to be my person. And, and they are now deceased and now they don't bring the entire paycheck to me anymore. I think the important thing there, Michael, to establish is that there was a reciprocal 
pattern of support mm. and duty of support. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that choose not to get married these days for good and bad reasons. Um, but you know, that doesn't change the fact that they were in a mutually supportive financial relationship. Mm. Um, you know, if we think of, uh, there used to be um, categories of marriage that were prejudiced against in the past, such as Muslim marriages, for example. Yes, there and Hindu. Civil partnerships, mm. you, you know, mm. there, there was a range of those. And it's taken the passage of time for those to be expressly recognized by the court in, in the context of RAS compensation. So, you know, as long as they, you, know, you couldn't move in with someone possibly for a month and then claim loss of support, that would be, you know, that, that would be not, not reasonable. Mm. But, you know, where you have an established domestic partner relationship, there's certainly scope to prove that reciprocal duty of support that, that you had towards one another. Let me ask this question, and I think it would be top of many people's minds. I mean, maintenance or or support means different things for different people. So somebody who is losing on an income of 5,500 a month uh, would be different from somebody who is losing loss of support of 200,000 rands a month. And and I know there was a bit of a debate, which I, 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 I think is worth discussing around, you know, what can I claim if if I was earning 5,000 rands a month versus somebody who was earning 200,000 rands a month? Are there differences in, in what, what, what each of those people can claim? Well, you have to prove actual loss. Yeah. You know, you have to prove that actual loss of support. So, yes, those are two sort of very distant um, examples that you, that you, you suggest there. Mm. But in terms of the... Um, uh, regulations and, and, and the amendments that came into effect in 2008, there's actually a cap on the annual losses that you can suffer mm. uh, by way of either your own loss of income or your loss of support. So the 200,000 rand person would, would you know, be impacted by that cap on an annual basis. Mm. So the 5,500 rand person would not be impacted by that cap and, and they would probably be fully compensated. And, and do we so, know what that cap is? Because Well, it started in 2008 at 160,000 rand per annum. And this is calculated uh, by actuaries as to what the present day value is, etc. And that, uh, that cap has been adjusted quarterly for inflation since 2008. And eight. So it currently stands at, uh, if memory serves me correctly, uh, it's about 270,000 Rand annual loss um, is, is the current cap. And I mean, that sounds, that sounds, um, I mean, I, I get the rationale, but it, it also sounds a, a little bit unhelpful to, to many people because hundred even 250,000 rands per annum would mean nothing to you if you used to have a, an income of 3 million. Um, well, yeah. yes, that's correct. But, you know, these measures were introduced as cost-saving measures um, by the legislature and they sought fit to introduce these caps and unfortunately we, we have to live with it because something else that, that is part and parcel of the RAS legislation is that the common law right to claim directly against the wrongdoer is removed. So you cannot, um, if you've suffered the 3 million rand loss, for example, you cannot say, okay, I'm going to take what I can take from the fund and I'm going to go against that millionaire uh, guy in the BMW that, that struck me and, and I'm going to go for him 
against him for the balance. Yeah. You can't do that by virtue of the RAF legislation. That driver is indemnified against those claims. But, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it does two things then. I, I mean, let's talk about, um, you, you know, it does two things because what it means is that when I'm a top earner, I should prefer to be injured in a in any other situation other than a, a motor vehicle accident. In other words, I should rather prefer to be hurt and uh, have a building collapse on me because then there wouldn't be a cap there as opposed to me being being um, in, a, in a motor vehicle accident. Is, is that sort of the, the result? Well, I think we'd all prefer not to be injured in any circumstances <laughs> if, I, if I can put it that way. It's a, it's a choice but, of a poison. <laughs> but but it, let's look at it statistically. Statistically, you're far less likely to be injured uh, by a building falling on you as opposed to our horrendous fatality and injury rates on our roads. And it's an embarrassment, actually, to our country that we rank in, in one of the worst rates of road accidents um, that happen worldwide. Yeah. This is a real, you talk about pandemics, you know, we've got the COVID pandemic. The other pandemic that's been with us for many, many years is um, our accident rate on our roads. It's I mean, I think it's an indictment on, on, a, on a lot. We, we indicted on a lot of fronts. I mean, GBV, we were right up there uh, yeah. uh, with <laughs> gender-based violence, rape, it's, you know, we, it, we, we score it's, higher. It's, it's, we win on the bad things. <laughs> yes, exactly. In all the wrong places. Yeah. All right. So uh, I got an, a text message here, and, and it's unfortunately unsigned. It says, if I am unlicensed driver and get injured in a motor vehicle accident, that that is not my fault. May I claim from RAF? You certainly can. Mm. Because, you know, unlicensing is a a regulatory um, infringement, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean, you know, you can be an unlicensed driver sitting stationary in your vehicle at a stop street Mm. and some maniac uh, who is drunk comes and drives With a license. (laughs) With a license. So what does that mean? So regulatory infringements have nothing to do with establishing fault. So, So ours is a negligence. You have to prove negligence and whether or whether you do or not have a license, that might be a factor, but it's not determinative of your right to claim. Lerato, let's talk about about <clears throat> something that you alluded to a little bit, where where okay. you, you you said that the process is, is 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 you know the claiming process is somewhat a protracted one. What when we talk about that, what sort of is the expected range? I walk into your office. And I say, I have this claim, what, what should I be looking at in terms of turnaround time? Um, in, in, on a good, um, I think on a good instance mm. where, you know, we don't experience any hiccups or anything like that. Um, one could expect between two years, because yeah. remember when, um, when you assess, I think that is another thing that should be brought forward is that a pre-requirement for any claim for general damages is that the claimant needs to be assessed 
um, it, we call it a, a, an assessment report. So it, it, it has to be assessed by an expert. For instance, if you have broken bones, you go to your orthopedic surgeon if it was a head injury. So that expert has to make the determination whether the injury was serious or not. And now for us to, 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 I think to take that into consideration whether you qualify for general damages or not. Um, also, there's what we call um, the MMI. So mm-hmm. it's the time, it's the maximum time in which it, it, it's the maximum medical improvement. That's what it stands for. So normally experts um, think that two years is the adequate time for a person for, for them to make it conclusive finding, you know, that this person would either deteriorate or would would improve in their injuries. So we need to be careful not to take them on too early. Um, For instance, if I take you, you've got a fracture now and I take you to an expert in in six months, Mm. the finding may change from the six months. So your, your, your prognosis, so to speak, is not the same in the six months as it would be in the two years. Mm. So I, I, th- that is another thing that people need to understand. So most of the time, it, 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 it goes a little over two years if all things go well, because mm. we also need to understand that our, our judicial system has been under pressure. Yes, we have, you know, your practice directors which are trying to curb and unclog the, the the court rules for us to take matters to court, but um, I, I would say honestly, Michael, I would say on a good on a good um, claim where we we don't have any hiccups, you know, a straightforward claim. Mm. I would recommend that a period of two years, just so that we are careful not to undercompensate and overcompensate a claimant. And 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 something that. I, I thought about as you were speaking, uh, mm-hmm. Kirsty, you, you remember Kirsty uh, that I was talking about, you know, the advantages of going via a lawyer and, and, and the many experts that, that, you know, Lerato was alluding to. When you go directly to the RAF, who pays for all of these experts? Who, you know, because these experts are not, it's not when you're actually getting paid. It's, these are just people that give reports on, on the extent well, of your, da- or your, your extent of your injuries. Well, unfortunately, the road accident fund can insist that you instruct your own expert. You right. know, they have their own they have their own expert, um, but they're paid by the fund. And you know, the man on the street would have a reasonable apprehension that perhaps that expert would be best served by saying what the road accident fund wants it to hear. Yeah. Um, and if you want your own expert, then they will invite you to find your own expert. And the important thing is in the context of, as Lerato has correctly said, you have to go and, and find someone to complete a serious injury assessment report. That expert, even if you've had the Chris Barnard of heart surgeons, <laughs> for example, if he isn't certified by the AMA, so the American Medical Association, to apply the specific test that has been mandated in the regulations, he mm. cannot complete it. So you need to find yourself an AMA certified specialist who is prepared to provide and, and, and complete that serious injury assessment report. So, you know, it, realistically speaking, you're not going to get that as a man on the street unless you go to a competent attorney who has those resources and contacts and, and panels of specialists who are able to provide that service. Mm. 
I want to take a break and when we come back I'll be taking your calls uh, on any issue that's related to road accidents, any injuries that you sustain um, uh, whilst driving, whilst cycling, whilst walking and the number to, to dial uh, to, to, in, in order to get an answer from any of my guests uh, is 86 I'm back after this. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back. I'm continuing my discussion talking about road accidents. Um, uh, and I've just, during the break, um, my producer has a question. I'm like, you call in and ask it. I'd ask it yourself. I'm not going to ask it on, on your behalf. Uh, Spa? Yes. Shoot. So, um, what happened last year? Evening, guys. <laughs> Evening. Christy and Lirato. Hi. Hi. How are you? you. Oh, cool. I'm finding yourself. So what happened was we're involved in, I was a passenger in a motorcycle and we were involved in an accident uh, last year. Um, I didn't get as much as, I I would say, uh, big injuries or severe injuries. It was just a minor thing, but I'm not an expert, so I wouldn't know what minor is. But we, I stayed off work for a couple of hours, for a couple of days, and I just want to find out how long can someone claim? Because this thing happened last year, December, and I haven't went to the road accident fund or anything. But we did. I did suffer a broken rib and minor scratches. And he's really okay. pretty. So scratch means means a lot more to him. <laughs> 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 For general damages, disfigurement is an issue. Exactly. <laughs> and um, you know, I, I'm assuming that you're over the age of of 18. Yes. So that would mean that, um, as from your date of accident, you have three years to submit a claim, lodge the claim with the road accident fund, which Lorata explained beautifully earlier. Mm-hmm. And once you have lodged a claim, you actually have five years from the date of accident to issue a summons if your claim is not satisfied. So you've definitely got plenty of time to submit a claim. Okay, perfect. There's something he dealt with in, in, in very quickly, which is a minor injury, and he, and, and he explained that it was a broken rib. Um, and, and, and you are 100% now? Yes, today I'm 100%. I could come to work and everything, but I couldn't come to work for a week or two. Right. Yeah. So does, does that at all, because, I mean, when we talk about you have to have been injured. What kind of injuries are, are, are contemplated um, by, by the regulations? Well, he wouldn't qualify for an award of general damages for pain and suffering because mm. that would mm-hmm. fall below the threshold of what, mm. you know, they introduced a threshold test for general damages, which is that it must be a serious injury and there's all sorts of prescripts as to how you qualify as a serious injury. So mm. on the sounds of it, it would not be a serious injury. So general damages for pain and suffering would not be there. But if you have a provable loss of income or a provable loss, of, loss in the sense of medical and treatment expenses, then that you could certainly recover. Okay, thank you. Because that was my next question. I was about to ask, um, can I factor in the medical uh, expenses that are going to the doctor, getting the medication and all of those? Yes, definitely. That is definitely recoverable. Okay. Something that, that, that sprung to my mind is, is the issue. You know, more and more we are being sensitized to non-physical injuries, right? So um, um, when, when you talk about mental illness, it's becoming more topical and, and we're becoming more and more aware of it. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think whether 
that at all would feature where you know the trauma that i sustain perhaps it's exacerbated by my own personal history or my own disposition are we moving in a direction where somebody says look i mean i don't have any physical injuries but i was in an accident where 17 people died and i was the only survivor and um and i'm really um now having to see uh, a psychologist psychiatrist or a combination of those are we moving in a direction where those are in any way um, covered. That is such an important issue. That is so important. And again, it, it highlights one of the, I think, a tragic um, amendment that came in in 2008. Mm. So where you are directly involved in exactly that scenario that you explain, if you're a direct victim of the accident, then certainly mental uh, disorder and, and injury arising from that is is certainly a recoverable uh, um, um, aspect of, mm. of your loss. Mm. But there are also tragic instances where you are what is described as a secondary victim. So you're the mom at home and you get that horrible phone call and your, your child, your loved one has died and you go through not only a bereavement process, but you are psychiatrically injured. Now, those secondary victims were expressly excluded as from 2008 mm. and in fact that's the only instance where the right to sue the wrongdoer remains alive so if if you are a secondary victim who has suffered demonstrable psychiatric injury you can still sue the wrongdoer but certainly if you were the one involved in in the collision it doesn't matter if you haven't had physical injury if, if you have psychiatric injury from that incident, then you could still claim compensation. Sure, and 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 have we had any kind of success? I mean, uh, uh, you know, I'm not. I, I don't practice in in the personal injury space, so I don't have a shop. I don't keep a sharp eye on 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 these issues. But have we had sort of successful claims? I'm not talking about the secondary damages. Just one where somebody says, "Look, as a result of being in the accident, I haven't been able to work." Uh, I can't concentrate. I can't. I, my concentration span is not what it used to be. Uh, therefore, my productivity levels have diminished. Um, um, every time I hear a sound, I used to work, for example, in this environment, and every time I hear a bang, that bang, uh, you know, brings about these memories, and and I go into this episode, which then requires me to undergo. You know, I, I could go on and on in terms of have we had ha, have these sort of issues been been tested as 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 one would expect the question of mental wellness becoming more and more topical have they well, I, have they featured in the RAF space definitely i i've represented any number of claimants mm. that have had um, on the face of it not significant physical injury and yet it has had a profound impact on the um, psychological well-being and uh, you know regrettably People are just, you know, if you see a broken bone, you know, you're more sympathetic. Yeah. And um, mental illness is, you know, it's not visible. Yeah. So it's, it, there's a lot, there's a high index of suspicion around those injuries, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, you have to work harder to prove that. But you, you certainly can. And, and I've had cases, I'm sure Lerato has had cases mm. that, um, that, that have involved those kind of instances. So, so the RAF is bound to be um, bankrupt then, if if there's such a 
a wide scope. A wide scope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think... I think... I think... Michael, that, you know, the problem... The, the RAF is a perfectly imperfect system in, in the sense that, you know, you pay according to the, how often you use the road because it's when you're putting petrol and you're paying the fuel levy. If you're more on the road, you're a higher risk. So, you know, your degree of, of contribution is proportionate. The, pro- the main problem, which um, is never effectively addressed, unfortunately, is that we have a horrendously high accident rate. That is our problem. Uh, if we could address the accident rate, the system is completely affordable. Yeah, which... which Wait, wait, wait. I'm sure I'm sure the minister would like to hear from you and and the solutions because it seems it seems it seems almost an impossible one. I mean, um, when you think about road carnage, it's not you can't address road carnage in and of itself because that's not where the issue is. The issue is in corruption. The fact that I know I can drive intoxicated, but the chances are, you know, very good that when I'm caught, I can pay my way out of that situation. Um, mm. that, that, that really is, you know, I think what hurts every aspect of our civility or civil life is, is the fact that you can just pay your way out of it. And sometimes you can be as drunk as, I don't know what the analogy is, and, and with, with, with 100 bucks, pay your way out of it. If, if, if it's that cheap to pay your way out of it, um, then we, we, it's very difficult for me. I mean, I don't want to say it's hopeless, but I, it's very difficult for me to see any kind of hope when, when we have an underlying problem that features everywhere. When a woman reports a crime and says, I'm being beaten up, it's, you know, the, the man comes and pays his way out of that. And, and in every other situation, you know, it's, it's so easy in, in, in our country, sadly. Well, corruption, unfortunately, is a systemic, is a systemic problem mm. at the moment. And it's not peculiar to only the context of road accidents and drunk driving, etc. And, you know, you correctly point out that you've got to start at the root of the problem in, in order to have any hope of improving things. Mm. All right. So when we talk about claims, I mean, how do we work out? I mean, uh, Spa just spoke about a, a broken rib. And and somebody else might have varying degrees. Ha ha! How do you get to a point where you can say, ah, this one, one million? For I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes <laughs> exactly. Can I get but the I'll non-lawyer answer? answer. <laughs> I'll so what's the non-lawyer answer? Look, there's no non-lawyer answer. It, 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 it varies from <laughs> it varies from injury to injury. You know, you, we cannot just look at the injury on its own. Mm-hmm. But with 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 the compensation, we are we are guided by the quantum yearbook. You know, we don't just um, dump sack figures to say, "Oh, this one deserves a hundred thousand, and this one deserves." So we have um, legislation that that guides us mm. as to how do we compensate for for injuries sustained. So let me ask so so let me tell you why I asked the question because if I'm not mistaken, it's not something that I certainly remember from my um from my, you know, lawyer life. But I remember my dad, he was a fitter in Turner and 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 the machine clipped his two fingers. And when he explained to me they had sort of a, a formula that says, well, 
if you get injured at work and you lose this finger and that finger, this is generally how much it is. If you lose a hand, it's this much. If you lose up to the elbow, I'm not sure if there was any sort of truth to what they explained to me when I was still young. Um, is it is a similar thing where I mean um, I think Kirsty referenced the American Medical Association. Is there sort of like you know um, guideline to say well if your injuries are like this then you know this is generally what your your damages would be. I you know, um, there. The, the, okay. what you're talking about there, Michael, mm. um, is a workman's compensation claim. Yeah, and then you're in a very different sphere mm. than with road accident claims or any other form of personal injury claim, for that matter. So um, if you're injured on duty and it's purely an injury on duty, then you are governed solely by workman's compensation. Yeah. And yes, then it, it, it sounds very impersonal, and it is, because one finger <laughs> is worth X and another finger is worth Y, and, you know, that's unfortunately what it is. But, you know, if you're injured in any other context, if you're a piano player and you lose two fingers, yes. you know, you're a piano player for a living, then that's a very different, uh, you know, context. So, um, unfortunately, your father was injured it on duty and got limited compensation and also workman's comp doesn't pay general damages for pain and suffering it, it's purely on loss of income or your reduced uh, um, or a disability factor that comes into it i guess i guess e- e- even that is not a perfect science because i mean uh, you, you reference an example of a piano um uh, somebody who plays a piano uh, and i was thinking of a certain dj who does fine um, <laughs> with, with with just one hand. Anyway, um, so your you're, call has been placed you're, you're, on you're closing. Uh, Please wait. So I'm not sure who that is. Uh, Lerato, you still there? I'm sorry. Um, whoa. yeah. You, okay. So me? yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. I, I I was just checking whose 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 line is, is is placing us on hold. I mean, your your closing remarks. Your you know what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's claiming? Or is 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 in an accident. So, what what are some of the things to look out for? Um, uh, you know, just as a as a closing remark before we we, we close off. Okay, I, I I think for for every listener out there, you know, um, with every field, there's there's an expert. You know, there is a person that is out here dedicated to helping you with a specific problem. So um, as much as there is a discouragement of um, the usage of consulting um, competent attorneys, I I would urge people because there there, there are certain um, spheres of your pain that you wouldn't understand. For instance, I think Christy touched on the emotional part of it, you know, the trauma part of it, and you'd find that it expands and affects other areas of your life which are claimable, but if you do not know, if you don't have an attorney that is going to adequately advise you, you know, um, people should not be scared to seek the advice. Go and find out so that you understand the time frame, you understand the requirements that you need to meet, mm. and you understand the processes. So we are here, here to help you, you know, um, and, and we are by no means, <laughs> discouraging that people go claim for themselves. Yeah. But I just think for a listener at home who, who's a layperson and does not understand what is required versus an attorney that has been in practice for a certain 
period of years. Mm. I, I would I would urge people to rather seek um, adequate legal advice before exploring either path. For sure, you know, it, it does not stop you from still saying, "Okay, I'll go claim myself," but rather be equipped to do that than sit at home where you can get the help that you need. Kirsty, yours in 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 just under a minute. Uh, we ha- we have to wrap up your your closing remarks. Well, I'd start with what sounds like a flippant comment, but you know, if your appendix was about to burst, would you take it out yourself? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You'd go to a surgeon who is skilled to do it, um, and you know, it's no different in in this field. Yeah, it, there, there is a plethora of statutory regulations and hurdles to overcome and you know never forget that you're fighting a monolithic structure it's a massive government structure the fund Mm. and and you know it's david versus goliath so you definitely need someone with weapons on your side Mm. well ladies thank you very much Uh, that's uh, kirsty haslam uh, partnered dsc attorneys as well as lerato tabakhali from mabunda incorporated thank you very much and to you the afropolitan thank you very much for being with me this evening i trust that you've enjoyed that show i'm back again next wednesday where we'll be covering yet another topic of law from me michael maturning bill good night that was the law report with michael mitwining bill kaya fm 95.9 rewinding rewinding kaya fm on fm rewind